Randolph Shepherd Podcast, promoting blind entrepreneurship and independence. And now here's the dynamic duo, Nikki Gaykos and Terry Smith. Welcome to We Are Randolph Shepherd Podcast. Terry, it's good to be back. Um, you did a great job of telling all the work that we're doing with the, um, with the Blitz. Thank you for doing that. And uh, first, again, we need to thank our sponsors, and they are National Association of Blind Merchants, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Sodexo, You Selected, Southern Food, Tyler Technology, and Anderson Food Service. Terry, how are you? I'm doing great, Nikki, and uh, missed you last month. Um, I, I had a lot of comments about how much people enjoyed the uh, Blitz, and uh, but everyone to a person just about mentioned that they missed you and missed our back and forth. And uh, so, uh, uh, but it, 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 it did go well. I was sort of uh, entertained by the fact that um, you know some people thought I still wrote it out and just read it, and some people thought I was just uh, uh, sounded like I was just sitting in the room talking to them. So uh, different takes by different people, but all in all, I thought it um, uh, you know I thought it went well, and I was pleased with it. And uh, uh, but with not nearly as much fun as uh, uh, having having you be there. So glad glad to be back and doing our regular podcast. Been been busy, Nikki. Uh, we just we just got back from convention here last month. We did, and we had a nice turnout for Hot Houston. It was a nice turnout. It was good to see. I know it was a tough time of year for many of our blind entrepreneurs with the rest areas and so many family things going on around the Fourth of July. But uh, we added uh, two new members to our board: uh, Virgil Stennett from Hawaii and Jimmy Cunningham from Virginia. You're right at, at what used to be Fort Lee. Uh, Jimmy and Virgil, longtime merchant, longtime federation, and longtime blind entrepreneurs from Hawaii and Virginia. So we're very excited to add them to the board. Yeah, it, we had a we had a great turnout for the merchants meeting um, on the Tuesday afternoon before the convention got started. And you know that's growing into a pretty big um, event when we get all the merchants together. And um, you know now as we turn the page, you know we got a couple of other things coming up. We got Blast 2.0 on the boardwalk. We do, and uh, we're glad to announce that our keynote speaker on Tuesday morning will be Governor David Patterson uh, from New York. We're talking about his book, Blind, Black, and in Charge, Leadership by a former governor. And I hear uh, Governor Patterson on the radio a lot back here in New York, uh, still very active, uh, working with MGM Sands to bring a, a casino to New York. So we're excited that he'll be there and be one of our keynote speakers. And you know, Terry, the funny thing is we've done a couple of blasts, you know, the one in Atlanta with NAMA and the one up in Iowa. Um, and people, like you said, seem to think that these are people get to network a little more and talk to them a little more. And so it's 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 fun doing these. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of work for you and for us putting the agenda together. But um, a lot of people call in and ask where the agenda is. So I would recommend that people at least book their room. Uh, they're going to go fast. And don't forget, it's the Vistar Buying Show. So if you're in those groups, Please take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm getting some uh, good uh, feedback from, from from folks, and uh, I think we're going to have better representation from the Northeast than we had last year, and uh, that will be that'll be great because this is a show that's intended primarily for them, and so um, um, as far as the buying show goes, so uh, glad that we're going to get get a lot of folks there. We're putting together the agenda and got some really good things coming up, and uh, so we're we're excited about that and. <clears throat> Something else we're excited about, Nikki, coming up is uh, we're about to go to St. Louis. Why don't you tell folks about that? We are. And uh, through Dars Jones, uh, a blind entrepreneur from Virginia who came to Iowa, um, who's the, I believe she's the vice president of the Blind Veterans Association for Mid-Atlantic. Uh, we talked to her and said we'd like to come to the conference. And uh, Terry and I will be the keynote speaker at the breakfast on August the 17th in St. Louis at the Blind Veterans Administration. A national conference, and we're very excited about that, trying to, as we always do in the, uh, with Terry and I, we're trying to build more relationships and partnerships, and uh, we don't have a lot of veterans, um, you know, in the Randall Shepherd program, so we're going to go and try to make some friends like we do and build some partnerships and relationships, and Terry, he did say it's, it's, it's busy, and I'll let you talk about some things in St. Louis, too, but 
Um, I know that uh, you're going to Arizona and you've been to Delaware and we're going to um, Florida in a couple of weeks and then uh, Tennessee, which is turning out to be like a little mini blast too. And then Indianapolis and um, North Carolina and a lot of other states. Uh, so I'd like to get your comments on St. Louis and, and some of this other travel that we're doing, which is exciting. Well, we're really excited about the um, about the St. Louis thing. I, I got to say, I've always wanted to go to that meeting. It's a Blinded Veterans Association. Uh, it's a combined meeting that includes uh, the uh, Department of Veteran Affairs and, and their blind rehabilitation staff and uh, the Blinded Veterans Association. And so to be able to get in front of them and, and we have when we We've talked a lot lately about uh, the Department of Defense and military bases and 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 all all of that, and it's something we're passionate about. But just about every time we have a conversation with somebody at DoD or somebody that's connected to DoD about uh, opportunities for uh, blind vendors on military bases, we always get the question: uh, Do you have any veterans in your in your group? And uh, they'd re they'd really like to see you know if we could bring blinded veterans. Uh, into some of those locations and of course we understand there's you know the promotion transfer rules and that kind of stuff uh, but we do need to get more veterans uh, into our program and I was excited Nikki I was at the uh, Delaware convention um, uh, or the Delaware annual training conference uh, in, in in July and um, they had uh, four new trainees who attended the training uh, which was great and uh, but Two of them were veterans and uh, one Navy, one Army. And uh, it was great that they were able to be there and, and, and be part of that. So I'd, I'd like to see us develop a better relationship with BVA. There's a, we, we do have a common vision or, or, or mission in some ways and uh, see if we can't work together. But more importantly, see if we can't get more blinded veterans into this program. We need more people anyway. So why not get some veterans? You know, it's, it's funny, too. I know our numbers are down from 1,800 and something down to 1,500 and something since pre-pandemic. But it also, with the state reports that we've heard at some of these conferences is that we have a number of blind vendors that are, are, are working in a number of locations. So, um, And our average salary is actually up our, our, uh, with Randall Shepard. So we do need blind vendors. We need blind entrepreneurs. And Jimmy Cunningham and, and Doris Jones from Virginia are both veterans and both part of our group now. And we're very excited about that too. So Nikki, summer has rolled around and, um, you know, I have ditched my coats and ties. And so if, if I get invited to these meetings anymore, it is a, a, a golf shirt and that's, that, that's about it. So, I mean, I'll wear a tie if I have to, but uh, I got a question for you. Just, just, and I don't, this is a crazy question, but it, summertime's here and you're dressing casual and you've got to run to the store are you a sandals sneakers or loafers with no socks which one is, which one are you not so much sandals um sandals at the beach but most time it's um uh, kind of I, I i have these kind of uh beach shoes that i wear for for years i keep buying new pairs all the time they're kind of like rubber Kind of things that, in case it rains, you know, you get those pop-up thunderstorms and stuff. So I'm a I'm a, 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 a rubber sole kind of shoes. They're Kohan shoes. I have them in different colors, and that's what I wear all summer. And, and to be honest with you, Terry, I haven't I haven't thought of a thought of a tie in three and a half years. I'm heading to um, the Nama Fly-in um, coming up, and um, I'll, I'll be there when this post. I would have been there, but uh, I packed for that and, and and did not pack a tie either. Sport jacket, so but no kick, tie for that. <laughs> you get a kick out of this because, and you know, Gary in Delaware, the Yankees fan, and he listens to this, uh, you know, regularly. And uh, so I was going to Delaware, and uh, I just knew that you know I, I would show up in my golf shirt and in nice dress pants, and uh, he would show up in his Yankee shirt. I've never seen the guy not in a Yankee shirt. Uh, and lo and behold, he shows up in a suit and tie and, and, uh, uh, I almost fell out of the chair when I walked, when he walked in and, uh, he said, Gary, you let me down. It's the first time I've ever not seen you in a Yankee shirt. And uh, you did it on a day that I was dressed casual. Well, I can understand why he doesn't have a Yankee shirt on this year, maybe because they're in <laughs> last place, but, um, you know, and our Mets and Cardinals aren't doing too well. 
But you know, Terry, it's uh, they've opened training camp uh, five miles from my house here in Florham Park, New Jersey, for the New York Jets, who actually have their first preseason game uh, two weeks from today um, in um, uh, with their new quarterback. I think his name is Rogers. I think I think that's his name. Or if I don't hear any, you can't hear enough radio in New York without hearing how these Jets are going to be playing twice in Las Vegas next year, once against the Raiders and once in the Super Bowl. So that's pretty getting pretty exciting. The summer has gone very fast, but uh, football season is coming. And um, I think my last prediction was correct. I think we were right on the uh, debit, uh, the debt uh, ceiling. So I think we're, we're starting off 23 with a better record than we ended. So maybe our football picks <laughs> will be better this year. This year. So and besides that, Terry, what's up with you? What's up? Well, you mentioned the, or oh, we talked to Summer a, a little bit, and you mentioned the travel that we're doing. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting that uh, you know we 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 go to all these states, and we get to go to the uh, um, you know the annual training conferences, and uh, you know sometimes we all like to go to certain places, and we can't all go to those places. But there's there never seems to be an argument about. Who gets to go to Jul in July gets to go to Arizona where it's 113 degrees. And so uh, we're recording this just um, a, a, about a week early. And next week I will be in Arizona where it's projected to be over 110 every single day. I'll be there three days. And then I get to leave there and go to Houston where it's going to be a hundred degrees every day and much more humid. And, and, and I, I will probably be in Houston and be missing the 113 degree temperatures in um, um, in um, in Arizona because it's gonna it's gonna be hot, and I know it's hot everywhere. I know somebody asked me who my travel agent was getting trips in July to Houston, Texas, Washington D.C., and Orlando, Florida for the month of July. So I said, uh, I, you know what? It's 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 fun to be around blind entrepreneurs. So that's the only thing that keeps me going. Otherwise. You know, it was so hot. I saw a, a, a dog chasing a cat, and they were both walking. So, <laughs> so Nikki, that's what's up with me. Uh, what's up with you? Well, we're getting closer to AFES, uh, Carrie. We're getting closer to, um, you know, we've we've talked about it, and I said that um, we're get, we're getting closer. We we met with attorneys down in Houston. That's the nice thing about national conventions; our attorneys are there. And we talked to them, and I'm excited that we're starting to put this together. And hopefully, uh, one of these podcasts will have some information. But what's up is that we're getting closer to going after AC. So I'm getting excited about that. For those that aren't Jerry, familiar with the acronyms, just to remind everybody, AFES yeah. is the Army Air Force Exchange Service. And uh, we are preparing, or NABM is preparing a lawsuit to challenge AFES. Uh, for their infringement upon the Randolph Shepard priority on military bases, we think it, we we realize it's a long shot that it's a um, that we are trying to do something that's never been done in getting into court the way we're trying to get into court. Uh, but if we are successful, uh, you know, every now and then uh, Hail Mary is completed. Just ask Doug Flutie. Um, and um, you know, if we are successful, this could probably mean more for Randolph Shepard than probably even the Canelli Amendment. So, you know, it's time that we, you know, put up or shut up, and we're getting awfully close to that time. And um, so, we're we're really excited about that happening. And, and you're right, Terry. You know, to think about rest areas, to think about the first meeting that I was at back in the early '90s about military dining and franchising. You know. The $20 million, those were all dreams too, and they came to fruition. So, you know, we're going to go get this. That's going to be our, 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 our say thank you, see you later, guys. We, you know, and then maybe, maybe we'll get some of that vending too. You never know. Terry, I, I thank you for doing the interview. I know that uh, the timing wasn't right, but uh, for doing the interview with uh, Jim Chico and the, uh, and the USI, could you tell us a little bit about the interview and then we'll hear it and then we'll talk about it? Yeah, we want to. Uh, we really appreciated Jim Chico and James Hull uh, taking the time to join us and to talk about the uh, USI's asset management program. I think uh, our listeners are going to find it uh, very, very, very interesting, um, and just to you know educate themselves and find out about it and hear one state's perspective on how 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 the program works for them. 
Um, and just so folks know, uh, I, th I think I actually mentioned it in the interview that we were having terrible storms when this uh, when we were recording the the interview, uh, and Nikki was uh, out of power, and we waited and waited and waited, and uh, he just he the the storms just hit. Uh, I was sitting in storms and my power didn't go out. So we got, we barely got the interview in. And so uh, if you want to, Nikki, let's just go, go to that interview and, and hear what Jim and James have to say. Sounds great. We're really excited to have Jim Chico with us today. Jim's a longtime friend of the Blind Entrepreneurs, a longtime friend and sponsor of NABM and a sponsor of this podcast and uh we had a great time um in june out in his home turf we uh with the field of dreams and got to go to his facility out there and see 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 the operation welcome jim hello terry uh thank you yeah yeah we're still talking about it here back in des moines and uh looking forward to the next time we uh we get to host you all and uh trying to figure out how do we do it even you know bigger and better so no it was a great turnout we all had a lot of fun and i think learned a lot well, you say bigger and better, you know, it's sort of funny because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I love doing the big blast where we have five or 600 people there, but when we do the smaller events, we get such a great reaction to it. People, people seem to love the intimacy of, 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 you know, doing a, doing, doing a smaller conference. And some people even, you know, say the one we did in Atlantic city last year with fewer than 200 people was the best blast we've ever done. And I'm, I'm almost offended by that in some ways. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I get it. I agree. And bigger doesn't necessarily mean more bodies. I just mean bigger in terms of bigger and better things. So right. yeah, anyway, I, it'll be hard to top. I felt like it was a real successful event, but we'll do our best to make it a better one next time around. Well, you were a terrific host and um, I know we appreciate it. And uh, I know the folks had a great time. So um, we're here to talk about, uh, because I, I get a lot of calls and questions from vendors and, you know, they're about the, the what we used to sort of refer to as the leasing program uh, that you you call the, um, uh, you know, the vending asset management program. And first I got to say now, we're, we're all about acronyms. So vending asset management program is VAMP. Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> so, I like that. So, um, so tell, tell us, uh, you know, f first of all, just introduce us to your company and, and, and then get in and just tell us a little bit about what that program is all about. Sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we, we are, we're, we're known as a lot of different companies because we're a part of the Wittern group, um, who is, you know, a 92 year, uh, third generation family business. And we actually comprise 26 separate businesses within the group. Uh, you select it or USI being one of them, national vending, um, another and, and Wittern financial services, which is, um, a third, uh, of that group of 26. And obviously, um, most all of them, 90% uh, of them are all in and around working in and around the convenience services industry, the vending and automated uh, dispensing equipment industry. Um, and so, yeah, so, so the company, as, as we're known, is generally you select it. But for the context of the program that we're talking about designed for the BEP, national vending is, is really who, who developed that uh, um, that that program together um, initially with the state of Michigan, um, and then beyond that went to the state of Kentucky, and in and we're seven years in uh, to the program on our seventh year actually, and and no less than about twenty uh, other states who we've been having active conversation. Everybody who's intrigued with interest with questions, it's a it's kind of a, a cultural change. So none of them move too quick, and I'm sure James. We'll, we'll comment some uh, about some of that. It, it took a little time to integrate, but once it got going, it's been it's been underway and working very well. But as the business goes, yeah, we are the Wittering Group, 92 years. You select it, you know, is the uh, actually the largest um, range manufacturer of vending equipment worldwide. So we make more product families than any other vending manufacturer in the industry. National Vending is, as I said, um, a vending management company you know, who operate thousands of location contracts throughout the United States and Canada. Um, and then Witter and Financial Services, who since the 1950s is still the, the industry's largest captive um, finance and leasing services company. 
So I wish you hadn't named it national vending. I, I still get people confused today with the old national vendors. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, seriously, I mean, people say that, you know, they, they don't, I don't like national machines. These aren't national machines. <laughs> yes, no, I get it. I, we, we've heard that quite a few times. Actually, you know, I didn't, didn't probably worth mentioning. So it was actually an acquisition. It was a management company that we purchased out of Maryland about 23 years ago. Um, and, and, and so we were, as we were getting started in this aspect of the business, um, asset management and, and account services and so forth, it was originally called, and we still have a DBA under the name Outlook Management, but national vending kind of became the prevalent or the predominant name and, um, the website vending.com, which was a part of that acquisition, uh, came along with it. And it's something that we use in another, you know, in another part of our business. So yeah, but we do get that a lot. But most people kind of get it pretty quickly as they know that it's not the old national vending manufacturer, right? Right. So tell us just a little bit, give us a brief overview of what the pro, the VAMP, as I call it, the vending asset management program. See, that's going to stick. See, I've, I've named this for you. Uh, tell us just a little bit about how it works. I, I, I love that and I'm going to share it and I'm sure you're right. It's going to stick anytime we can give another acronym uh, to anything in our building or in the industry. It seems like they always stick. But um, so, yeah, I mean, the program is, you know, it's essentially as, as, as we talked about, you know, initially we called it a leasing program because, yes, we, we started it as a sort of under um, a lease uh, terms of a lease. But it's so much more than that, that we more recently started referring to to it for what it is. It's an asset management program. So, um, and I've actually had some of our customers, including James and others, refer to it as that because it's not just a lease. And when we when we have talked to some states initially going back over the years, we talk about it in terms of lease and everybody immediately says, well, what's the payment? Um, and then maybe kind of take a step back when they hear the payment and they don't quite understand yet what is all involved, which I know we're going to talk touch on a little bit today. So, so yeah, it's it's basically helping to it helps us states centralize all accountability um, through our resources. And and what that means is national vending essentially becomes a state's vending department, a vending services department, managing all equipment, new equipment supply, delivery, installation, service, and repair. Um, you know, managed by a professional team who are working throughout the country um, doing similar programs. And within the context of a lease, it's a monthly rental that is paid on the machine. Um, and it includes a basically a, a, a total five-year warranty on parts and labor, which means there's a, a whole lot less out-of-pocket spend on what seems to have been, and I believe will always be, the biggest challenge of any state program, and that's managing the the aged assets in the field, which inevitably become, you know, very expensive to support. And so that's that's really the beauty of the whole program is every five years we'll replace the assets with brand new latest technology. And and basically the goal is in that um, in that aspect to keep the cost of service extremely low. And ideally, the goal would be to just get rid of all that overhead cost entirely. So basically, a state, the money they're currently spending on buying equipment, maintaining equipment, uh, that that is all uh, goes into the um, asset management program instead. And then exactly every vendor is guaranteed new equipment every five years. Is that what I understood you to say? Correct. Great. So now you've worked with with Randall Chevron, various business enterprises. You sold a lot of equipment to to, to to state agencies across the country. What what need did you see that sort of made you come up with this program? Well, I think it was pretty similar. It's probably a, it's a, probably a great question for James, and I hope well, I'm sure he'll comment on on some of it. But I, yeah, I mean, there were there were you know, look, every no program is perfect, no matter how it's operating, whether it's a straight. CapEx or rentals or leases or, or whatever is going on. But I mean, I think the, the challenges we recognized, quite frankly, together um, with James's team in Michigan, were no different than every state that we have talked to since. It, and th those are basically asset management challenges. Where, where is the equipment? What is the reporting? How much does this cost to service and repair? Um, you know, and so maintaining it with the burden of that high overhead cost of running an operation, because let's face it, 
Every state program is its own vending entity or vending operation, no different than the thousands of vend operators around the country. And overhead is a killer. And, and that means a lot of different things, warehousing, trucks, insurance, other liabilities. So, so the, that was really the challenge, I think, that we recognized with the strength of the various legs under our stool. In other words, the, the various pieces of the Wittering Group being the management business, being the equipment business, being the lease business and service support business. You know, we were able to basically pull together a one source, a single source solution to what we identified after listening to um, states like Michigan and Kentucky. And again, like I said, it's the same kind of story. Every state that we talk to, the, the challenges are all the same. It's, it's that asset. It's the cost of owning um, that asset and running a, a sustainable and profitable vending business. So, so that's, that was really the, 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 uh, the challenge. And, and I think that the solution, while it may not be perfect, I think up to now it's as close to perfect uh, a solution to basically checking all the boxes that were mentioned. Our, our goal here is not to try to sell this program or promote the program. Our goal here is to uh, educate people about the program and, and, and to inform them about resources that are out there. And with that in mind, uh, uh, I want to welcome James Hull, who is the director of the Business Enterprise Program in Michigan. Uh, welcome, James. I'm doing very well, Terry. How are you today? Uh, doing great. Appreciate you being here with us. And uh, Jim mentioned you were the um, I think the first state to 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 uh, jump into the uh, asset management waters. Uh, can, can you just sort of tell us what makes it work for you? Well, you know, one of the biggest challenges, as Jim was talking about, that we were running into was finding a consistent and equitable way to continue to update our equipment. Um, we would run into a problem that you know either due to state procurement guidelines or budgetary restrictions or or just simply, you know, just managing the assets, where we would run into a, a challenge in acquiring new and necessary equipment for our vendors to be able to utilize. And so we were trying to come up with a, a better solution that would also help us to not acquire what we referred to as a, a vending machine graveyard. You know, before we had started this, we had a warehouse where we had at one time as many as 60 vending machines that were obsolete, but because of our state rules, we couldn't just throw them out. We couldn't just scrap them. Um, and so we were not only not getting any money out of them because they were no longer usable, but we were having to pay money to store them. And so we were trying to find a creative solution for how we could manage these assets in a way that would prevent us from having a backlog of obsolete equipment while still being able to provide the most updated equipment for our vendors. You know, um, we, we had the brainchild, we looked at the way that we actually used our copy machines in the state of Michigan, and we used a similar asset management program for all of the copy and printers that the state utilizes and said, why can't we do that with vending machines? And so we reached out and uh, Jim responded back to us and they were very interested in trying to build this kind of a program to help us manage these assets. And, and here we are seven years later, uh, continuing to move forward with it. So you're, so you're the brainchild. <laughs> I'm, I'm a part of it. I'm not going to take all the credit, uh, you know, but I was part of the team where we were just looking for a creative solution and, and we found a willing partner. So I, I like the, um, um, the analogy and comparing it to the, the copiers because, uh, you know, that's exactly the way, you know, states and uh, even private sector in many cases, you know, do their copy machine. So, uh, you know, Jumping from 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 one to the other really really makes sense. Um, so money is always an issue with state agencies, and let's just face it—you know, some states have more money than others. And and you know, I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of uh, of the budget you have for your business enterprise program, but just I'm not asking you to give us cost figures or anything like that. But how, are you able to make this work financially? How does it work? How does it work financially for you? Well. You know, one of the things that we really had to consider was, you know, making sure that it did work financially. You know, it wouldn't make any sense for us to pay more to enter into this program than what we would pay just to purchase and continue to maintain the equipment ourselves. So we did a cost benefit analysis and we looked at, as Jim mentioned, you're not just getting the machine. 
you're getting the service, you're getting a sole point of contact, and you can set up a consistent replacement schedule. So we took a look at the overall costs for the, the asset management program as compared to if we were to simply purchase the equipment and we had the historical data for what we spent on repairs each year and we spread that out over five years. And you know, for our program, we couldn't touch the asset management program by purchasing it ourselves. We were just, we would be so far over if we had to buy the equipment, maintain the equipment, dispose of the equipment after five years. There was no way that we could make that sort of commitment to our licensees that every five years we would purchase and replace that equipment. The asset management program allowed us the opportunity to do our fiscal forecasting. We know exactly what we're going to spend each fiscal year. You know, there are no surprise costs. The repairs are the same because it's all built into the price. Whether the machine is repaired once a year, once every five years, or once a month, it doesn't cost us any more. You know, so that really made it easy for us to project and and helped us to determine the viability of it. You know, every state's going to have to take a look at their own budget individually to see if it will work for them. But it was something that we were able to work into our state program, you know, based on our expenditures and our projections if we maintain the status quo of just purchasing. You know, and in this way, we can have the latest and greatest equipment continuing to be rolled out. We never run into a situation where we have any machines that are 20 years old. You know, everything is within five years and then it's going to be replaced. You know? and, and our operators know that they're going to have dependable, reliable equipment week in, week out, year in, year out, you know, without having to worry about whether or not they can get parts, whether or not the equipment is still, you know, attractive cosmetically or if it's obsolete. And that's, you know, from the fiscal side, that's one of the biggest benefits that we've been able to get that forecasting and knowing that we're giving them the opportunity to make the most money that they can make. So I said, we wanted to, you know, we're, we're, we're all about what's best for the state agencies and the blind vendors. You sort of hinted at this, but uh, what, what do your blind vendors feel about? How do they feel about it? Well, I tell you at the outset, they were, I'm going to use the word resistant, but I think it might've been even a little bit more than that. You know, they were very concerned because they were looking at just the simple monthly number. They're like, well, you can buy the machine for X. And instead, over five years, you're going to pay Y. And that's more than X. And, you know, they, they were really struggling at first to understand that unknown factor, which is how much were the repairs going to be? How much was it going to cost to move the equipment around from site to site? You know, those factors that you don't know until they happen. And over time, uh, especially over the first five years before the, the second rollout of the equipment, as the initial equipment was beginning to be replaced with the new, um, the, the next generation of the assets, you know, they began to see that there were cost savings, you know, that it didn't actually cost us more in the long run. It ended up saving us money. And what really turned them on to the program was that they began to realize that they were making more money. They had new equipment. It was cosmetically very appealing. The customers liked the look of it. We were able to incorporate credit card readers on all of the equipment. And we were able to incorporate telemetry on all of the equipment that they could utilize and, and help to plan their service routes, which saved their labor costs. So they were putting more money in their pockets. So over time, they became very excited about the program and they see the benefit to them. Because ultimately, that's what state agencies need to be working toward, is what steps can we take to benefit our licensees? It can't just be about the budget. It has to be about putting money in blind licensees' pockets. That's the ultimate goal here. So I'm fascinated by, and Jim, you can jump back in here uh, if you'd like, or either one of you take this one. But uh, um, having a network of repair people uh, that can repair machines anywhere in the state, or in this case, anywhere in the country, how, how do those repairs work? Well, well you heard me. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, James. Yeah, let me let me just give a, a specific overview for Michigan, Jim, and then I'll let you talk about it from yeah. a national perspective. For Michigan, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we had initially was, you know, for every repair that we would have on a state asset, we would have to go out and obtain a quote, sight unseen. I mean, we'd have to call up a company and tell them to quote a job 
without ever really knowing what the problem was. And then they, we'd have to establish a purchase order, send the purchase order to the repair company, and then they could go out and actually service the equipment. And then if the service was not exactly what they quoted, the state agency would have to update the purchase order, you know, make the change before they could pay the invoice. The process simply to get the ball rolling to get the service company out there could take as long as four weeks. That's four weeks that machine isn't making any money. You know, so moving to this system first, the repairs are a part of the asset management process. So what we established was simply an email box that our licensees would send a repair request to, and we forward that on to national vending. National vending then takes that and turns it around to their repair companies that they work with, and the individual is immediately dispatched. You don't have to wait for purchase orders or quotes or anything like that. It just immediately goes out and it gets serviced. So it has cut the repair time by almost 80%. You know, um, in some cases, it's cut it to where, you know, they're out there the very next day, no questions asked. And then from the state side of it, you know, for the licensees, that's great because the equipment is back, it's up and running, and, and they're back to making money. From the state side of it, it's all at no cost. And you have a sole point of contact. We don't have to worry about finding a regional repair company to go out and handle that. We don't have to worry about what the transportation and mobilization charges are because it's all built right into the, the initial cost for the asset management. You know, so, you know, we call it, we refer to it as, as a service agreement, but basically it's like an extended warranty on your car, except this time you don't have to take it to the dealer. The dealer comes out to you. And, and so it's really streamlined our processes and, and again, with that fiscal forecasting from the state side, we don't have to worry about, well, how much do we expect our repairs to cost this year? And we have to hold that money in reserve. And then we get to the end of the fiscal year and we still have money left over that we have to spend. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. And, you know, it gets really challenging to spend that money in the last 60 days of your fiscal year. This way, we don't have to worry about that because it's all built in and we can forecast it out. So, Jim, if you want to talk about it a little bit from from other states that you've worked with in your national perspective. Well, I think, thanks James and Terry, I think James, you hit it pretty much on the head and, and, and maybe the only things I would um, add to it is you heard me mention earlier, by no means is the program or are we perfect, but we're of course striving to be perfect. And yeah, just like any uh, program that there are, uh, there's room for it for improvement. And, and James knows, you know, very well, um, that we're trying to always, you know, raise the bar. And one of the things we're trying to do is get better at having, you know, in-state, let's say on hand through our partners in, in Michigan, there's several, um, in Kentucky, there's several, um, you know, who are, who are supporting the program where we're trying to have all the right balance of, you know, immediate access parts, critical spares, in other words, that are, you know, going to even cut down time of, you know, one day would be ideal that everything got done in one day. I know that that, that doesn't happen. James knows it doesn't happen. But one other thing worth mentioning, because we learned this early on, not to accuse anybody's state program of doing things frivolously, but sometimes it gets hasty. And what I mean by that is, you know, these routines and processes of service calls and, you know, lining up a, a physical person to go out to a site to do the most basic thing, like press a button or, or turn a, turn a, turn a screwdriver. Um, the, the real simple things that many operators in the program are on site willing to support, but felt like they needed. And I don't, I'm not saying that that's the case in every case, James in Michigan, or what I say about Kentucky, but after talking to so many states and having so many distributors that support states all over the country, I know that sometimes it just becomes routine. So one of the things we strive to do in our trainings um, is to make those, you know, when I say trip calls, not that we aren't willing, obviously when they're necessary, we do it as James said, but we can solve a lot of problems on the phone with a lot of our support team. And um, one of the, I remember one of the remarks that was made at the uh, event we hosted in Des Moines, I think it was Kentucky, James. And when, when uh, it was announced that we, you know, national vending actually takes all of the calls that consumers call in and complain about their product that got stuck or their, their change that didn't return or something that went wrong and what a burden 
lifted from the programs uh, day to day in, in terms of having to expedite, dispatch, communicate. Um, I know it's a little thing, but it's it's those little things that make uh, that make the program extra special. So, no, I think, James, you, you described it perfectly. Um, and while there's only a couple of states actively being serviced, it's, it's very similar where we're working with third party distributors um, in other programs that are not necessarily state programs, but any managed program where we're just trying to basically expedite a solution ASAP. And everybody understands that. And you have to agree with James. Uh, common is that waiting, you know, sometimes up to four weeks um, just to get a service call scheduled and executed, totally unacceptable in the vending business. Not if you're going to be a, you know, competitive professional operator. You know, Jim, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going on this one before Terry, you know, moves us off this topic because, you know, it is Michigan. That, that Which I was about to do. <laughs> yep. it, it's Michigan. You took over our call center aspect. So uh, first, just thank you for that. But you know, Terry, you had asked me earlier about the fiscal side and, and does it make sense? You know, that was another thing that we used to have to pay for separately. We paid for a 24-hour call center that is now built into this asset management. So when we were evaluating our costs, we got to eliminate that charge as a line item on our budget because it got folded into this. So that also helped us to sort of balance the books as it were when we were evaluating this. But one of the other nice parts about this program, and Jim touched on it a little bit, is that, you know, a lot of our operators were concerned as it related to repairs because they are, you know, mechanically savvy. They know these vending machines. They were worried that they wouldn't be able to do repairs themselves, you know, that they would have to wait for a repair company to come out. And that is one of the other nice parts about this program, that there are a lot of instances where national vending will simply send parts at no charge directly to the licensees so that they can install new CoinMax bill acceptors, VEN motors, um, things along those lines. Uh, and they don't have to wait for a service sector to come up. They do it themselves. And they're allowed to do that under this management program. There's no restriction that prevents them from doing that service to get themselves back up and running and making money again as quickly as possible. So that's another nice aspect about the repairs is that the operators themselves still have the ability to perform those routine functions. Let's see, Jim, you don't have to sell it. James will do that for you. So <laughs> I'm not trying <laughs> to sell it. I, just, I know the upsides to it. Yeah. You know, hey, so, um, so tell me, and uh, we, we do, we, we, we got to close this thing out really, but I, I, I want you to talk to me just real quickly and uh, about the telemetry part of this uh, uh, program. I know that the, the telemetry comes with the uh, and the credit card readers and all that, the whole package. Uh, it, uh, talk to me about that just for a second. Sure. Right. Go ahead, um, James. We, we got, I'm sure we both have comments, but please, James, go so, ahead. You know, one of the biggest challenges, uh, Michigan, we tried doing credit cards on vending machines about 20 years ago, and we were actually too early. And, you know, customers weren't ready for it. But in this day and age, if you are not taking credit as a part, form of payment in your vending facilities, you are leaving a lot of money on the table. When we installed this equipment with credit card readers, we started on our highways and we saw a minimum of a 10% lift in sales at all of our locations that we started installing. And that carried forward through all of our sites. We have seen a lift by taking that, that cashless payment. We also you know, ran into situations where we would run into vandalisms on our highways. People would bust in the machines, steal all the cash out of them. And that's always a problem when, when the economy goes on a downturn. We converted sites exclusively to cashless. We didn't see a drop in sales. What we did see was a drop in vandalisms because there's no money to steal. So the machines aren't down. So not only did our operators not suffer a loss in, in sales, but they also don't suffer a loss in time with the machines needing repairs. So that's another upside to the credit cards. The telemeters are a little bit different of an issue. You know, you asked how our licensees felt about the leasing program, and I said they had reservations. Another one of their big reservations was the telemetry, because the state licensing agency in Michigan has access to all the sales data through the telemeters for every piece of equipment that is a part of this. And our licensees were a little nervous about us having access to see that. What they began to realize is that the information that the state licensing agency has to see is the same information they're reporting on their monthly financial statements. So we're not getting any additional information. 
they are the ones getting the additional information because they can see their sales down to the individual coils to know exactly what products are selling. They can set up planograms to know exactly what they need to bring to restock their equipment, whether the equipment needs to be serviced or not. They can set with the telemeters up so that they get alerts if the machines go out of temperature controls, if it's an ice cream machine or a cold food machine. They also can get alerts to let them know whether or not the door to the machine has been opened. And one of the coolest stories that I have as it relates to the telemeters with that, we were having a problem where uh, some of our vending machines were getting broken into in the middle of the night on our highways. So we set up the alert so that it would send a text message, not to the licensee, but to the state police. They got a text message at two o'clock in the morning saying that this vending machine opened up and they knew our licensee wasn't out there. The state police actually caught the guys on site, right in the middle of their vandalism, arrested them and got restitution for our, our operator and our program all within a matter of weeks. You know, it was, it was really amazing and has done a lot to help our licensees to minimize that. You know, so they're the ones that have really benefited from the real-time information and, and been, been able to modify their businesses to take full advantage of it. So you're right. The, the, the sharing of the information, being able to see the information, big brother kind of thing is, is the number one thing. And I've, you know, I've heard, you know, strong reactions to it in, in, in both for and against. Um, but, you know, exactly. You, you, you made the comment that you can only see what they put on their monthly report. So can you not see, you can't go down to the individual rows and, and, and all of that, like they, like they see, do they see more than you or do you, you see exactly what they see? We see exactly what they see, but okay. what it really comes down to is, I mean, you have to have a sense of, of, you know, relationship building between the SLA and the licensees. And, you know, what, it, what I always remind them is I don't have a need for that information. And to be perfectly honest, myself and our team, you know, our SLA staff don't have the time. We don't have the time to dig into every single machine and evaluate every single coil and things like that. We're more interested in bigger picture issues. You know, how can we better support them? You know, but our licensees can take advantage of that information and, and utilize it. You know, so we do have the access. It's just there's no particular need and, and no real opportunity to do anything with it. You know, instead, when they're talking to us about those sorts of things, we can see the same information that they see and have productive and constructive business conversations using that information. And Jim, I understand the, uh, the there are some some of the fees that go along with those credit card readers are built into the lease. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, they are. They are all incorporated into the to the monthly rental, and I, that's that's on the you know on the devices. There, there of course is still a transaction fee. Oh yeah, as in any as in any application with credit cards, but. Yeah, and I love that story, James. Uh, I, when you remind me, you just reminded me about that. It's a teamwork and technology at at the best, and catch the bad guy, right? So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, more folks will catch on to uh, you know using the technology and communication that way. So, well, I just want to thank both of you for being here. And as I said, our our, our goal here is to educate and 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 maybe some. Um, uh, some some state agencies and some elected committees will hear this and and, and dive into it and uh, you know whether or not they you know they decide this is right for them that's a decision that they have to make um, but um, you know maybe they'll they will at least do the investigation and I know James I'm not speaking for you but I guess maybe I am I know you're available if any of the state directors want to talk one on one you would you're uh, you're more than happy to talk to them correct. Oh, I absolutely am. I've had conversations with several states uh, in the last couple of years, and I will talk to anybody about this who wants to know. And Jim, if anybody's interested, I guess they can reach out to you directly at you selected. And I think uh, if, if if no one knows how to get in touch with you guys, they can contact me or Nikki and we can put them in touch with you. So thanks absolutely. again, guys. I'd love, love to talk. Absolutely. Appreciate you, uh, um, you, you being here. And I just want to close it out by saying, um, you know, Nikki is sitting in the dark in New Jersey right now. And, um, so if you're wondering where Nikki is, you know, he, he intended to be here to uh, participate in this interview, but, uh, um, uh, storms all over the country. And I don't know whether I'm, I'm anxious to go back and listen to the recording to see if the thunder and the rain pounding on my window next to me, uh, comes across on the recording. So, um, 
a lot of bad weather. Hope everybody is safe out there. And uh, again, thanks, Jim. Thanks, James. My pleasure. Thank you both. Thanks, gentlemen. When I first heard this topic come up about leasing vending or, you know, type of thing, and the states were thinking about it. Uh, but the more I hear it, the more I'm starting to like it a little bit, especially with repairs and uh, the cost and, and uh, new equipment, which I think we need to have. We hear so many states that have such old equipment, not even with credit card readers. So I'm starting to be a believer in this, and I'm looking forward to uh, Blast on the Boardwalk September 27th to 29th to hear more about it. James Hole will be there, and of course, Jim Chica will be there, and maybe we'll hear more about that how they're, and see more more states are doing uh, besides Michigan and Kentucky. Well, James did. I mean, we, we didn't have James on here to sell the program, but he certainly did a good job of selling it. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people do get uh, sticker shock when they when they when they first look at it and, and they don't. And, and then they just stop right there and not really looking into it. And it's not for everybody. And, uh, you know, there are some states that, uh, you know, it would not benefit, but there are some states that it would. So we just uh, wanted to pr- take this opportunity to provide folks some information because it's one of the things that we get a lot of calls about people asking us about it. And so we decided we would just put them on the podcast and let everybody hear for themselves. And, um, you know, then they can decide for themselves whether something's good for them or not. So Nikki, so we're at the end of the time, I think, and uh, it was great doing this podcast with you and looking forward to next month. I am. And next month will be uh, September. Uh, the start of busy time and our blast on the boardwalk. Don't forget to register. Don't forget to uh, get your room. Don't forget to sign up. We're looking forward to that. And Jerry, I'll be looking forward to seeing you on the road again. Looking forward to it. And uh, when this thing drops next time, it'll be the weekend that Tennessee kicks off the football season. And I'll be a different person at that time. Talk to you later, Nikki. And thank you, Josh. See See you. The We Are Randolph Shepard podcast would like to thank our sponsors, the National Association of Blind Merchants, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Sodexo, You Selected, Southern Food Service, Tyler Technologies, Translucent, and Anderson Food Service. If you would like to support the We Are Randolph Shepard podcast, we would love to have you on board. Corporate sponsors may contact Nikki Gakos at NikkiColorado.netscape.net. Individuals who would like to support the podcast may do so by donating to the National Association of Blind Merchants at www.blindmerchants.org. We would love to have your support.